guardian angels and patron saints, pray for us. So the story of Abraham in our first reading today, a difficult, thorny problem that he faces. Not only the question of whether or not to to obey this command, but even deeper, the, the question of from where does this command come? How do I know? How do I know God is telling me to do something that by all accounts would be objectively wrong? To murder my own son or sacrifice him. To take an innocent life in any case. How can someone hear something that is apparently intrinsically sinful but accept it as coming from God? What a difficult and thorny question that is when we read that not as a story of the distant past, but something that is, is perhaps presented to us here and now. I couldn't help but think, <clears throat> think of this same question in the light of <clears throat> some things that I've been paying attention to and reading in current events. Some of you, if you're, if you're on top of the Catholic editorial page, um, may be aware that there's a, a controversy brewing, brewing, centering around the question of communion for the divorced and remarried in the Catholic Church. That is, those who for whatever reason, have divorced and and remarried civilly without being able to obtain an annulment of their first marriage and who live together in a situation other than as brother and sister, how can they be included in the life of the church? And is it permissible for them to receive communion if in good conscience they feel like they've made their peace with God and the church? Again, a difficult and thorny question, one that I don't want to necessarily tackle in its details today. The reason I bring it up, though, is because as I've read and listened to a number of figures speaking about these questions, trying to clarify them, both those who officially represent the church and those in journalism and media, it's become clear to me that very frequently, much of what's being said is grounded in a deeply flawed understanding of conscience. Okay, so what I would like to do today is speak in the context of Abraham's predicament about the Catholic teaching on conscience. What does it mean for us to accept and and insist that we as believers have a conscience and should follow it? There are some common misunderstandings about conscience that I probably should begin with. The first is that to act according to your conscience is simply to be sincere. To determine my deepest feelings about a matter and to act accordingly. I've I've acted according to my conscience, someone might say, with that mindset. Well, this is not precisely what it means to act in conscience. So, too, we can sometimes hear someone say, I'm going to act in a way that allows me to get along. It's a, a kind of social conformity. To act according to what I what I'm taught is right will cause problems for me or for other people. So in conscience, I'm going to make a decision, not do what's right in the name of social conformity or or maybe a misguided charity. But this too is a flawed understanding of conscience. For, For me to act in a way that allows me to get along with other people, this is contradicted by the way we normally speak about a person of conscience. A person of conscience is someone who does not acquire well-being or success or approval at the expense of truth. Quite the opposite. A person of conscience puts the truth first and 
if that causes them to lose well-being or success or approval, that's something they nonetheless agree to bear. That seems to line up more closely with our idea of a person of conscience, doesn't it? In the Catholic understanding, conscience is this. It is the perceptible and the demanding voice of truth in my soul. The perceptible and demanding voice of truth in my soul. And so it's an act of practical moral judgment about actions that I've taken in the past or that I'm considering about to make. And so it's not really a matter of our feelings, but our reason. Conscience pertains to my knowledge, to my intellect. Conscience is the consequence, in other words, of my freedom. As free beings created in the image and likeness of God, I have the ability to to exercise that freedom, to make decisions. And for this reason, the church teaches that I am obliged to always follow my conscience. I must follow my conscience when I've, when I've come to a, a determination about what, what I believe to be the case. The Catechism says, and I quote, If a person were to deliberately act against the certain judgment of his conscience, he would condemn himself. However, conscience is not infallible. It can make mistakes. My conscience can lead me to a certainty about the way things are that is incorrect and misjudge. Jesus alludes to this in the Gospel of Matthew, the sixth chapter. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is sound, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is not sound, your whole body will be full of darkness. The eye here referring to the eye of the mind, the eye of the soul. And so, throughout the prayer of the church, you'll find such things, for instance, in the Psalms, praying that the Lord would cleanse us from even our hidden faults, those things of which we are not yet aware. Because my conscience, at times, can blind me or deceive me. It can pass over things that it should catch, that it should strain out. And so there's a danger of our conscience losing its way, of of being deformed. Our Lord himself warns us of this. So what are we to do? Do you see the problem here? I must follow my conscience, but my conscience can be in error. It can lead me astray. And so a third crucial point about the Catholic teaching on on conscience is that I must form my conscience. I have a duty to form my conscience by tirelessly seeking the truth about the moral good to be sought and ultimately informed by the law of God. If I don't do this, if I fail in this capacity to form my conscience, I give my own personal preference and authority that it should not have. John Paul II, writing in his, one of his landmark encyclicals, The Splendor of Truth, paints the picture in this way. The individual conscience, in a false understanding, is given the status of a supreme tribunal of moral judgment, which hands down infallible decisions about good and evil. To the legitimate statement that one has a duty to follow one's conscience, there's added an illegitimate affirmation 
that my moral judgment is true merely by the fact that it has its origins in my conscience. But in this way, Pope John Paul II says, in this way, the inescapable claims of truth disappear and they yield their place to a criterion of sincerity or authenticity or being at peace with oneself. In other words, conscience is recast from being what allows us to hear the voice of truth into what then dispenses us from having to seek the truth. I don't have to worry about it because my conscience is already present and telling me what to do. In effect, it gives me a pass. And in that sense, church teaching, as important as it is, it's just one more perspective that I should take into account while I'm weighing my decisions. But then, then the decision's up to me, and, 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 and that's where the authority of my moral judgment lies. This is deeply problematic. And I, and I hope I'm not being too abstract here. I want to I flesh this out a little bit as to why this is such, a, such an issue. Think of it in this way. To, when we treat conscience as that supreme moral tribunal, it, it introduces that line of thinking that allows us to distort our moral decisions. Suppose, for instance, I'm a business owner. I'm a small business owner. Uh, we've hit hard times. Our business has, is in a slump. And if things continue as they are, we're in danger of closing our doors. For the time being, I say to myself, the ideal of being honest is beyond my reach, at least temporarily. Why doesn't my conscience allow me to, say, defraud my customers with an inferior product? If in doing so, I'm able to address the debt that my business is dealing with and allow for the care of my family and my employees and their families who would certainly suffer if my business were to close. As long as I have the goal of working myself into a better, more honest financial situation. Would our conscience be justified in making that decision? Catholic moral teaching would say no. I'm not allowed to do something evil in order to bring about a good result. Maybe, maybe a more extreme example to, to cast the situation in even more stark terms. Would an SS officer in the Nazi army, would he be given a pass? Would he be given a pass on the atrocities that he committed because he was personally certain that he was doing the right thing? that his conscience told him he was doing the right thing by exterminating Jews in concentration camps. If your conscience is simply being certain of your own rightness, being at peace with yourself, then yes, the Nazi gets a pass. But that seems obviously wrong, doesn't it? Doesn't that seem obviously untrue to the, to the truth of, of, of what we're called to be and to do? Don't we all know the Nazis should have known better? So, conscience has to be something more than just my own personal authenticity, my own personal conviction. Conscience doesn't establish the truth for me. It enables me to discern and respond to the truth. Now, here's why this isn't simply a matter of just doing what the church tells you to do. Why what I'm describing right now isn't speaking out of both sides of my mouth, saying you must obey your conscience 
and your conscience is basically whatever the church tells you. If I could take a step back, what I've been outlining here is grounded in two basic perspectives about our relationship to the truth. On the one hand, we have what I've been describing in the Catholic teaching, a a sense of confidence about the human capacity to know the truth, to know it and and then to put it into practice. And on the other hand, a worldview more skeptical, which says, we're the measure. We set the standards for ourselves. The voice of truth to which we listen with our conscience that gives us the capacity to respond to the voice of God, this is very crucial. It's not something that is imposed on us from outside. It's not something that is imposed on us from outside. In fact, the voice of truth which speaks to our conscience is speaking to those things that are imprinted in us by nature. The things that are stamped upon us from the beginning, implanted in us by our creator, but that through sin have been disfigured or even effaced. So the voice of Christ, the voice of the church, is recalling and remembering and refreshing these things which are already here, written on our hearts. The voice of, the, of, of God, the voice of our conscience, is recalling and clarifying that primordial drive to do good and to avoid evil, to do real good and avoid real evil. It's clarifying and refreshing the mandate to do unto others as you would like to be done by. <clears throat> All of these are given to us as a kind of moral DNA, okay? So, the authority of the church, it's not something that's contradicting our freedom. It's at the service of our freedom. It's at the service of our being able to listen to the truth. It's an assistance to the conscience to become aware of itself. It's not opposed to our conscience, but it's at the service of our conscience. Cardinal Ratzinger, on whom I'm basing a lot of what I've, I've been saying today, he said, formation of our conscience should not try to relieve someone of anything, right? To take away their freedom or their responsibility. No, formation must have the humility to go along with the other person's insight and to help it mature. This is what Pope Francis refers to when he calls for a ministry of accompaniment. Contrast this with the famous saying of Hermann Goering, one of Hitler's henchmen. I don't have a conscience. Hitler is my conscience. That's the opposite of what we believe about conscience and authority. So I realize I've just been offering the briefest sketch and raised probably more questions than I've answered. But to bring us back to Abraham, I think it's important for us to consider the context of this story, this situation that's been told in our first reading. And I'd like to point out that there is a profound difference between his situation and ours. Keep in mind now that this story is being told in the 22nd chapter of Genesis. We're only a few minutes into the human story, relatively speaking. Abraham lacked a great deal. 
In a very real sense, he was on his own and could only rely upon his conscience. He did not have the magisterium of the church, did he? He did not have the Gospels or the Sermon on the Mount. He didn't have the prophets. He didn't have the gift of the law. He had none of those things to guide him. He was on his own in a very real sense. But we Christians, perhaps sometimes we forget what we've been given. Perhaps we forget what sets us apart from Abraham in that difficult situation in which he found himself, hearing a, a voice that told him to do something that seemed to contradict everything that he would come to know to be true by, by his own conscience. Quoting now the Second Vatican Council, informing their consciences the Christian faithful must give careful attention to the sacred and certain teaching of the church. For the Catholic Church is, by the will of Christ, the teacher of truth. Her charge is to announce and teach authentically that truth which is Christ. It follows then that the authority of the church, when she pronounces on moral questions, in no way undermines the freedom of conscience of Christians. This is so because the magisterium does not bring to the Christian conscience truths which are outside of it. Rather, it brings to light the truths which it ought already to possess, developing them from the starting point of faith. In other words, the Catholic who accepts the moral law taught by the church is following their conscience unswervingly. The Catholic who accepts the moral teaching of the church is following their conscience unswervingly. And so it is that the church puts herself always and only at the service of conscience, helping it to avoid being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine proposed by human deceit. This is still the Second Vatican Council. The church helps the conscience not to swerve from the truth about the good of man, but rather, especially in more difficult questions, to attain the truth with certainty and to abide in it. Today in the gospel, the words of our Heavenly Father over his beloved Son, transfigured into glory for a brief moment, reminds us and refreshes us what we've been given as he commands, listen to him. God has spoken in Christ. God has revealed to us not only himself, but also our deepest and truest nature in the scriptures and in the teaching of our mother, the church. We're not adrift on a wide and uncharted sea with only our own sense of direction to to rely upon, however faulty. No, we've been given precise instruments and reliable maps that will bring us to safe harbor, not to use them is folly. Moses himself, thousands of years ago, said, Behold, O people of Israel, I have taught you statues and ordinances as the Lord my God has commanded me. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of all the peoples, who when they hear these laws will say, Surely this, this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there, Moses asked, that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? If Moses could say this, how much more can we? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.